Welcome back to MLEX's podcast, the third and last instalment of our special series dealing with the United States Federal Trade Commission. I'm James Paniki, MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor, coming to you from the LexisNexis offices in Melbourne, Australia. It's great to see you again. Now, our subscribers would be all too familiar with our coverage of an interesting acquisition, Meta's play for Within, a software company that develops apps for VR devices, with VR being virtual reality. And there's one product in particular that's of interest here, the VR workout game Supernatural. The deal and the FTC's attempts to block it are of particular interest to us. Why is that? Well, there are a number of very sensitive issues at play here including the ability of antitrust enforcers to argue against a deal, not because there are overlaps today, but because of competition concerns that might arise later. Now, the FTC was ultimately unsuccessful in blocking the deal, and we now know that the agency isn't willing to pursue an administrative legal challenge. Yet these outcomes have a lot to tell us about what lies ahead. To walk us through the Meta Within deal, we're joined now from our offices in San Francisco by Mike Acton, an MLEX senior correspondent who has written a very fine piece of analysis. Uh, So, Mike, Meta, of course, has made a big bet on the metaverse, as we all know, and I suppose that is ostensibly why Facebook decided to change its parent company's name to Meta. But first, maybe explain to us what Within Uh, and Supernatural actually are and how they fit into this meta vision. Yes, so meta is uh, taking a big bet on the metaverse. Last year, it reported that it made a $14 billion operating loss on Reality Labs, which is, is its division that focuses on the VR sector. So what's Supernatural? It's a fitness app, uh, a very popular one at that, that is available on the VR app goggles, which uh, Meta offers the Quest headsets. So it's important to think about this space as a sort of nascent market. And the idea is that Meta is going to build an audience, uh, people like us, who will start to use these devices in much the same way that the iPhone became this sort of epoch-defining device that everyone has. Meta sees that VR app goggles will become the next sort of paradigm in that. So Supernatural fits into this because it is the most widely used fitness app on VR goggles. It's uh, It pr- provides uh, training for individuals who go on, on there. So you will have a, a, a trainer, a virtual reality trainer, and then you use these sticks to hit objects coming at you. There's music, there's a constant stream of content coming through on uh, Supernatural. So the idea is that this is a sort of key use case for VR and it will draw people from outside of the sort of core audience of what VR goggles have been so far. So it's typically been gaming, right? Gaming has been the, the main appeal of these devices and the idea is to broaden their appeal and that by broadening it, Facebook will bring in, or Meta rather, will bring in more and more uh, developers onto its platform. Now, Meta's uh, thinking here is crystal clear thanks to the wonderful explanation that you've just provided. The FTC, though, had concerns. What uh, what was at the heart of the FTC's objections to this deal? So this is a vertical deal. And historically, those have not been considered problematic in that you don't have two direct horizontal competitors merging. In this case, you've got a relatively small app, if you think about the size of Meta, uh, being bought by this giant tech company. Now, why does the FTC have an issue with that? Well, it's come in with this kind of not new, but 
rarely used legal theory of potential competition. And in a nutshell, that means that the FTC alleged in its case that Meta would have built a competing app to Supernatural in the VR app space, something that could have taken on Supernatural's leading market position. So buying rather than building, which is a familiar refrain to those who have followed critics of Meta. If you look at the Instagram and WhatsApp acquisitions, you know, some 10 years ago now, these are uh, acquisitions which the FTC are, is con- interested in cracking down on uh, with the view to creating a more competitive environment in uh, these new platforms, which are going to become, if Meta is correct, a sort of staple of our lives. So the FTC was seeking a preliminary injunction which would have blocked the deal from closing while it pursued an administrative law case in the its in-house court. Uh, that trial was set to go ahead in February. So the December hearings were all about blocking the deal as a preliminary step, getting an order from a federal judge, which would stop it from going ahead. So the concern was that it would kill off this potential competition, but there's also this sort of broader, I guess, concern about these new platforms that become narrowed down to one or two big tech companies that own them. And then the concern, perhaps, that these, because they become key pipelines for businesses, at the moment VR is very much a gaming sector, maybe a little social networking element to it, obviously fitness is growing, but that one day we will do everything through VR app goggles and it'll be a sort of key pipeline of commerce. And then the question arises, well, what's fair about the cut that these companies take? So there's an interesting parallel with VR app goggles with the iPhone, because the iPhone's taken a huge amount of... um, of scrutiny, uh, not just from regulators, but also from private litigants. So the, famously the Epic Games case a couple of years ago, they are concerned about the sort of cut that these companies will take. So this wasn't explicitly within the lawsuit, but it's very much the flavor of it is this concern about the fact that, you know, Meta takes a 30% cut on transactions on the VR app store through its Quest store, uh, even though it does allow you know, rival app stores on the Quest, unlike Apple. This concern about uh, a monopoly uh, dominance in a new platform that's emerging. Okay, so there are a lot of different parts here, including that initial, uh, you know, ex ante question, which has been discussed all around the world and has been, as you rightly pointed out, since the, uh, you know, the 2012 acquisition of Instagram. But what came up at the trial in December, and how did Meta defend itself against the FTC's case? The sort of four pillars to what Meta was trying to do. It threw everything at the wall. So first of all, it was trying to get the case just dismissed outright, which is a separate sort of question for the judge to consider. And it said that this potential competition theory, which has been used by the FTC, the last time it was used was in 2015 in a case called Steris. But that this idea that you can challenge a transaction based on the idea that they might have launched a rival product is kind of dead letter law, that it's very rarely been used. The FTC lost the 2015 case. So Meta was trying to say that just the legal theory itself was sort of outdated, uh, and the, the case couldn't proceed on that basis. Then when you get to the sort of substance of the FTC's case, Meta went after the FTC's allegation that you could define the market here as just VR fitness apps. So they tried to say that there's a much broader competitive environment. And not just that, but you know VR is still a very new industry. And even in the course of this case being heard and going through the California court, New entrants are coming in all the time. So they said that this is a very competitive space and that there's actually competition. You can't just think about VR apps. 
fitness apps, but you have to think about things like Peloton, other products that are used for at-home fitness. Um, and that market's much broader. So Meta was hoping to sort of kill the case on that. The third point would be, it's true that Meta's pouring billions into its Meta-first operations, but Meta said, just because we are a huge company with a huge amount of money, that doesn't mean that we automatically have the capacity to build a product like Supernatural. So they brought all these arguments about the fact that, you know, you need a studio, a development studio, you need a constant stream of content that goes through these apps. It's not like a game which Meta has moved into that space already, where, you know, a lot of games do have a constant stream of content, but there is a sort of core product. With a with a fitness app, you have a subscription basis, and the idea is that you're going to be getting new content sort of pretty much daily. And then the fourth pillar of Meta's case was basically saying that they there's no evidence here that the company ever really seriously considered launching a rival app to Supernatural. So it really came down to just the nuts and bolts of an investigation. Is there proof here that Meta went right up to the point, was full speed ahead on a plan to launch a rival app, which was what the FTC was contending, the argument being that it was trying to develop this app called Beat Saber, which is technically a game, into a fitness product, possibly in partnership with Peloton. And Meta said that's just, the evidence just isn't there in this case. Well, let's talk about the judge's ultimate uh, decision because he ruled in Meta's favour. But how many of those four pillars that you've just mentioned were actually left standing at the end of it? Because um, some things did go the FTC's way. Well, exactly. The FTC was keen to, okay, we had this absurd situation where the judge published the decision uh, on the docket just before midnight, but didn't make it public which then led everyone to sort of speculate what exactly he decided. And so it took a few days for us to actually get hold of a redacted version of the order. Um, and the FTC was immediately saying, look, even if we did fail to block this deal, we won on some key points of law, which you could say forms the basis for a sort of proof of concept for future cases where you're looking at vertical deals by big tech companies buying into a market where t- you know they may not exist, they may not have really a presence yet. Uh, this is a sort of a sort of proof of concept. So, yes, they won on the theory. So the judge said this potential competition theory, it's a little old, but it still stands, uh, and it's good law as as things stand. We don't have anything that suggests that it's not. So immediately, Meta loses on its attempt to just have the case dismissed outright and have an order from a federal judge saying the potential competition theory is is dead and buried. Two. They went on market definition, which is actually, I mean, this is a, it's a major sort of hurdle that any plaintiff has to clear in U.S. antitrust cases where they have to sort of define the scope of the market. And as I mentioned, Meta was saying that this is a much broader market and they were saying that, you know, you had constant new entrants and the, the supernatural is, is sort of, it's not fixed in place as the sort of dominant player. And the judge it basically sided with the FTC's market definition, said that you can define this market as just fitness apps and said that it didn't look particularly competitive. So those were the sort of, I guess, well, if the FTC can claim wins, those were the, the wins. The losses were on those questions of was Meta capable or likely to launch its own rival app? And that's where the case really fell down because the judge just did not see evidence that Meta was really full speed ahead on this Beat Saber project. It was an idea that was raised by one of their their VR executives, uh, a guy called uh, Stoyshlavzovic. I think I'm pronouncing it right. But the this was just sort of an initial scoping exercise that they'd reached out to a consultant that the project had basically fallen by the wayside. And in the meantime, 
Apple came into the picture. We know that Apple is a sort of big potential player in the VR, AR sort of space in terms of launching its own device. There's a lot of speculation about when that's going to come. And what emerged during the trial was that Apple had come into the picture and been sort of sniffing around Supernatural and, and maybe thinking about an acquisition. The judge concluded that that was the sort of that was it wasn't like they went right to the edge and then decided to buy within in in spring 2021 it was that they just saw a competitor moving to scoop up a key app on their ecosystem and that they went and bought it which is a somewhat different story from what the ftc was trying to say okay well given the wins and losses for the ftc in that judgment what are the agency's uh, next steps if any and how has uh, it ultimately interpreted that ruling? So the FTC had a couple of options here. First, it could have appealed the federal judge's order on the preliminary injunction to the Ninth Circuit, and it had about a week to make up its mind on that. Um, but perhaps because the ruling itself wasn't a total washout for the agency, they chose not to. So if the judge had ruled against the FTC, not just on the, the question of the evidence, but also the legal theory or the market definition underpinning it, then you might have more grounds for bringing that to an appeals court because you have a real fight there. That's not what they got. They got a mixed bag in the end. So they chose not to appeal and Meta and Within closed their deal uh, shortly afterwards. So then there's a second option for the FTC, uh, which is do they continue to pursue the separate parallel administrative case in the FTC court? This was an interesting question because the FTC hasn't done that in about three decades. So it would be very unusual for them to do that, even though they're not strictly prohibited from doing it. There was a lot of speculation about, you know, given the fact that Lena Khan is such a, has been in the past and, and is such a sort of vocal critic of Meta and its acquisition strategies, that maybe even though they'd lost at the preliminary injunction stage, they would still choose to pursue this. And that would have meant locking Meta and the FTC, I guess, into potentially years of further litigation because there would be the administrative trial and then that could be appealed to the full commission and then that could then be appealed onward to the uh, the federal appeals courts. So that was a theoretical possibility. And in that, in the administrative case, what's interesting is the FTC was not just seeking to block the acquisition, or in this case, it would be unwinding the acquisition because it would be sometime later. They were also looking to vet every subsequent purchase that Meta made, not just in the VR sector, but also potentially beyond. So it was a it was sort of, I guess, a, a real dilemma for the FTC as to whether it goes forwards with that and sort of ch takes the chance that maybe even an administrative judge would sort of take a dim view on the case. You know, we've got a ruling from a federal judge that said that there wasn't enough evidence to support the case. What would make them think that that would then convince an administrative judge? So in the end, they sort of erred on the side of caution, and they chose not to pursue the case. So Meta wins this round, but we know from what the FTC officials are saying on the record that they're interested in bringing more cases like this, and of course, the scrutiny of Meta and its acquisition strategies is far from over. Mike, that's where we'll have to leave it for today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Let's uh, talk again soon. Thanks, James. Mike Acton, an MLEX senior correspondent covering tech issues from San Francisco, and he was speaking to us from California, from where he has been covering Meta's acquisition of Within. And we'll post a link to his most recent analysis at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. There's a tab that's called, quite appropriately, News Hub. That's where you can go to read the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. 
There's also an archive of podcasts. You'll be able to find all of our three-part series on the FTC. We've covered a lot of ground over the past few days, and I'm sure there will be something there to fire up your imagination. And we'll be back in your feed on Friday for our regular podcast covering the big stories in regulatory affairs from around the globe. And that's where we'll leave things for today. Today's podcast was produced and presented by me, James Paniki, published with the help of our London-based marketing team. And the podcast's executive producer is Richard Thompson. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company today. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Listener.